In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The groans of death have surrounded me. The sorrows of hell have encompassed me. Today we begin our three-week preparation for Lent in Violet in this season called Septuagesimatide. And we cannot understand the full meaning of these words of the introit unless we understand that this is, in a sense, the beginning of the liturgical year. The true beginning of the liturgical year is in Advent. But it begins also today, in a way, for it is on this Sunday that the Church in her night office begins to read from the Scriptures once again, taking up the very first book, the book of Genesis, and its opening chapters about the creation and fall of man reminding us of the reason for Christmas, for Lent, and for Easter. And so today, in the Mass, in these words of the introit which have been sung, it is the voice of our first father Adam, or in the case of our choir, Eve, which we hear speaking of the consequences of our first parents setting themselves up as gods, succumbing to the temptation of the devil. After having been created by God, formed from the clay of the earth, and constituted in his friendship through grace, even given the promise of taking part in the divine life itself, our first parents chose instead to become gods to set themselves up as masters of knowledge, masters even of life and death. They then fell from grace, and so it is that they sing the song of woe, the groans of death have surrounded me, the sorrows of hell have encompassed me. This first fall of pride was followed by a litany of other sins. As we read on in the Old Testament, We hear of envy, wrath, murder, impurity, violation and corruption of the married state. We see original sin then continue to wreak havoc upon the human race all the way into the time of our Lord. And even after our Lord's work of redemption, the vestiges of sin remain on our wounded souls, which can only be healed by the grace of Christ. Among the first Christians, we hear of strife, rifts, sins against charity, envy, jealousy, hatred. And it has always been this way among the followers of Christ, sadly. Indeed, despite my prayers and earnest hopes, we find, after this long and terrible year, rifts right here in our own community, Arguments that we never could have imagined with people we've known for so long. Friendships which have soured, finding some people no longer even on speaking terms. Everyone, it seems, has chosen his side and picked the blogs and social media accounts that match his views. From the one side, we hear, this is about health. Anyone who doesn't see that is just selfish. From the other, we hear 
this is about freedom. Anyone who doesn't see that is just a feeble-minded pawn of the state. Well, all of you are my children. I'm pretty sure I've heard every perspective by now. And I know your hearts because you've trusted me and opened them to me. So here's a news flash for you kids. The healthcare worker one pew over from you is not a conniving agent in some COVID conspiracy. And the homeschool mom who brings her 10 kids to church and lets them interact with others is not a selfish, short-sighted super spreader. I know that you're all striving to live a Catholic life in a sinful world. And one thing brings us all together, as it does every year on this Pro-Life Sunday. None of us wants to live one more day in a world where evil thrives. We all cherish life. And no one wants anything more to do with this culture of death. In my sermon two weeks ago on the morality of vaccines, I made reference to the Catholic moral doctrine of material cooperation with evil. Material cooperation with evil means having some involvement, more or less remote, with the evil actions of another, while not sharing that person's evil intent. This doctrine is not a cop-out or some sort of permission to sin. It is rather an application of that saying of St. Thomas More, which I have repeated to you so often, the times are never so bad that a good man can't live in them. We all have to go about our daily lives, buy and sell, pay taxes, put children through imperfect school systems, and respect man-made laws. Sometimes our relation to the sinful actions of others is so remote and our needs of life and liberty so great that we can and should cooperate. Nevertheless, I hope this doctrine doesn't leave you with a warm and fuzzy feeling. Surely the gospel doesn't end there. It's hard to imagine our Lord saying to us on Judgment Day, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast only materially cooperated with evil. Even in its most recent document on the subject, the Church's Magisterium has reminded us that even remote material cooperation with evil brings with it the obligation to work toward the end of that evil. On Pro-Life Sunday, we remember, sadly, that we pretty much have the cooperating thing down down pat. We all go about our lives in this world of mass murder. How about the protesting part? On Judgment Day, our Lord may well ask us, yes, you were wise as serpents, but were you simple as doves? And the Apostle tells us today all run the race, but only one receives the prize. Run so that you may win. Avoiding sin and close cooperation with evil is not enough. What then can we do for the cause of life? I will not dwell long today on politics. Suffice it to say, 
that we have in this country a two-party system. One party, which when it comes to life, despises us, and the other, which uses us. No, let us focus on what we can do as agents of good works. To me, two actions stand above the rest, praying outside of abortion clinics and supporting pregnancy centers with money or with volunteer time. Both of these things, as so many of you can attest, lead directly to the saving of lives. What place is there then for protest at this time? Because of the fact that vaccines are being promoted so widely and may have indeed become obligatory, it has been an occasion for many people to wake up, regardless of how one feels about vaccines, to the question of how unborn children are being used as medical material. As I told you two weeks ago, this issue is nothing new. You've been coming to me for years about these things. Sadly, we have gotten used to it, but it should never cease to outrage us. Here we must raise our voices. For what is so insidious about what is going on? It is not that people are deliberately killing children to use them for purposes of health. It is more that they have blithely accepted that, of course, it is part of our society that millions of children must be killed every year. And so, why not benefit from all this raw material? And when I say that they are killed, I do not mean that they are killed and then used. As we know, in many cases, they are first used and then killed. This state of affairs cannot be accepted by any Christian. We know what else does Christmas mean other than that when a child must die so that others may live? God sends his own son to do the job. And so, my dear children, let us not consider it time wasted to spend a few moments of this day in such an important vineyard. Even if we have come late to this cause, we trust that our Lord will give us what is just in return. Let us not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.